Okay, what's up, you guys? Welcome to church. It's good to be with you all. It was great to worship with you all this morning. And just, um, there's something about a, a stripped-down worship set where it's just, like, kind of raw. And I could really, uh, sitting in the front, I could hear your guys' voices. And, and uh, as I was preparing this week, I just knew that God really wanted to minister to us today. Like, he wants to speak to us. He wants to... Um, reveal who he is in the world in which we live. And, um, and I believe this morning as we were singing, I heard hearts that were ready for that, which is always a rad thing to hear. So let me pray. As I'm praying, would you guys open up your Bibles to Book of Mark? Chapter 10 is where we're going to be. Father, we thank you for this morning. And um, I thank you, Lord, for the faces that I look out and see today, um, I see faces and I see some some backstories uh, of people that I've known for a long time, like Delicia up here uh, doing announcements. And then I look out and see faces that I don't know very well yet, um, but I, but I but you see uh, all things. Not only do you see where we currently are in our station in life, you see us somehow seated in this heavenly place next to you, heirs of the kingdom of God. You see all that has been, all that is, and all that will be. So, Lord, we just come into um, your presence this morning, into the story of creation that you have been telling, the story of redemption that you will continue to tell, Lord, and we just take our place in the, in the story this morning. So speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Today, <clears throat> today we're going to look at a text that um, that, it, that can be avoided. It's one of those texts that as I was looking at the, the gospel of Mark, you, you look through and you're like, we're going to go through Mark, chapter by chapter, the whole thing. Then I look, I'm like, man, that's going to take a long time, but we can do it. Then you look through and you see certain things, you're like, oh, that's so good, oh, that's so good. And then you hit a few and you're like, oh, that one's hard. One of the cool things about going through the Bible uh, which is one of the things that we like to do is we we have a steady diet of God's word. So sometimes we're going to teach on a series, something we're feeling, but our, our steady diet, we want to be healthy, nutritious food. There's nothing more healthy and more nutritious than God's word. So we're just, we try to have a steady diet of taking in God's word. And, and sometimes you got to eat like some vegetables that don't taste good. But man, are they good for you. We have one of those today. It has tended to be and can be one of those pick-your-side texts. Here's the, here's the word. Now pick your side on how you're going to live that out. Before we jump into the meat of the message... In Mark chapter 10, let's pick up the 
the narrative or the story of Jesus. And let me read you guys. Um, actually, let me re- go ahead and read you guys verses 1 through 12. And he left there, Jesus. And he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. Actually, let me stop there. He left there, went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. Jesus and his ministry, we're about three years into what would be about a three and a half year ministry of Jesus. We're getting close to the end, as it were. The end being the crucifixion, the arrest, the crucifixion, the, and the resurrection, and then the ascension of Jesus. Those are coming along. And a lot of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a big chunk of them are given in this last year, the last six months, which is probably what we're looking at here. And then in John, like half of John, a big chunk of the gospel of John is given to the last week of Jesus's life. So it really kind of starts to zoom in on this last. And so it says when Jesus left that place, where did he leave? He left a place called Capernaum. Capernaum was on the northwest. Northwest is best. We're the Capernaum of the United States. It was on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. That was where Peter was from, where, where, the, where they had their fishing businesses. And that's where Jesus' headquarters had been for the whole uh, part of his ministry up until this point. And it says he left Capernaum. Actually, he would never return there again. He was leaving his home base. Actually, in Luke, it says something great. He didn't just leave. It says he left with his face set like a flint toward Jerusalem. A resolute spirit and calling and drivenness about him for the things that were not behind, but the things that were coming ahead. He was leaving a sense the crowds that loved him and followed him and was moving to the point where they would be yelling, crucify him. He was driven. It was all on purpose. He was moving from a place of comfort and acceptance to a place where he would be betrayed and murdered. And it says as they were going down, he cro- it says he crossed the Jordan, the other side of the Jordan. Now the kind of the traveling route when you would go um, from the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem, there was a couple of different ways, but one of the main roads would come down and then cross over the Jordan River come down the east side of the Jordan, then cross back over and head to Jerusalem that way. Now, this is important because it says when Jesus crossed over, he crossed into a new county, so to speak, a new region, a new territory. And the territory that he crossed over into was one that belonged to Herod Antipas. Do you guys remember that name? We talked about him probably a a couple of months ago. Herod Antipas, and this is important before we get into uh, the teaching here. Herod Antipas was a Roman official who ruled this region. 
Rome ruled Israel. Caesar was president, and the Jewish people were subject to this Caesar's rule in their everyday life, in their um, worship, and just that's how it was. Rome was in charge. Herod Antipas was the guy in charge of this region. When he had crossed over, it says crowds had gathered. But in the mix of these crowds, and when crowds gathered, as was Jesus' custom, he taught them. doesn't say what he taught. I find that interesting. Crowds gathered and Jesus taught. What did he teach? You know what's cool? Probably a lot of the things that he has taught before this will teach after this. Jesus had some themes that he liked to hit, and they, it was about the things of the kingdom of God, what it's like to know God, walk with God. But I just loved it because they were like, as was his custom, people gathered and Jesus spent time teaching them. But in the mix, it says there were some who did not want to learn, but were there for other reasons. Look at verse 2. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now the Pharisees are people and represent people who come to Jesus uh, not wanting to be taught, but wanting to test. Not wanting to hear, just wanting to talk. And they come here with a desire to test him, or some translations say trap him in his words, or you could even be like they were trying to pigeonhole Jesus. They asked him a trick question, something that they already had a strong viewpoint on what they believed. It's not like they came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus... Here's what we're wondering. What do you think? It was sort of, I know what will work. I know how we can get him to stumble and get him to slip up since we're trying to have him arrested and we can't stand this guy and he's messing up our program. Let's see, now that he's back in Herod's territory, who feels this way about divorce, and now all these people are gathered Let's ask him this question that we could get Jesus to look like in front of people what we want him to look like. So this was a trick question. They already knew what they thought on the subject, so much so that they had viewpoints that they taught others to believe. That was the Pharisees. When it came to divorce, they already knew what they believed, so much so they, had, they taught it to others. Now, Herod, if you remember, he divorced his wife because he saw his brother-in-law's wife and wanted her, and she wanted him. So they had this crazy family debacle where they left their spouses, married each other, ran away to this zone to rule. They weren't even, he wasn't even welcomed back in Rome by some people. They ended up later on in life, get cast out from here and 
we all we have is history to tell us what happened. Apparently, maybe they went to Spain and died off in some faraway region, but they had their own kind of story and backstory with this topic. So if you can get Herod mad at Jesus, maybe we have something that we can do here. John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod for confronting him on his sexually immoral lifestyle. John the Baptist, not in a political realm, but in a personal realm, went to Herod and said, what you're doing is wrong. What you have done is wrong, and it cost him his life. I preached on that a while back, and I can't remember what it was called, but it, it was, um, yeah, I was going to say it was good, but it was just talking about, because I was thinking about Herod and his wife and their daughter and his parents were raising children, and their our kids oftentimes follow in certain viewpoints and footsteps, and it was just a great message about breaking those strongholds and walking in something new. So here's the question, and I frame all of that because in their eyes, no matter what answer Jesus gave about this highly divisive issue, he was certainly going to make somebody mad, and this might give the opportunity to arrest him, which is what they were looking for. They were trying to get Jesus out of the way. Many issues are presented to us as followers of Jesus in the same way. We are given an issue, and we're given two options, and we're told to pick an allegiance to one with the intention to be trapped in our words. But God is going to show us that he has something deeper that he wants to do, another way, a third way that brings the kingdom of God into someone's life. So how do we navigate the issues of our day while remaining faithful to the truth of God's word and having love, the love that God has for all people. That's what we want to do. It's a well-balanced way to navigate the truth of God's word. Don't compromise. Yet we have God's heart for all people. When you're given two sides and told to choose one, it's you, it's you, it, you, back that up it's really hard to have that balance as a matter of fact the perfect balance of grace and truth is only found in one place and it's in the person and work of Jesus so this morning's message is called getting to the heart of the problem how to navigate social issues getting to the heart of the problem how to navigate social issues if you're a note taker there's some things that would be good to jot down maybe this is a good one when navigating the issues of our day and the issues of life may i just let remind us there is no formula there is no formula but there is a pattern we're going to use a three-step pattern that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. 
The Sermon on the Mount is a message that Jesus gave about living in the kingdom of God. And in it, he says this. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. He's talking about how do you live this life of newness in the kingdom where we are walking in the spirit. And he says, this is what you do. You ask, seek, and knock. Verse 8, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the ones who, one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if, he, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil or sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Love this verse. Actually, in Luke, in another place, says the exact same thing, but Luke uh, adds something for us right at the end. It says, how much more will God give the whole, your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The good things that he will give is the Holy Spirit. So the three things to navigate social issues of the day, of our day, first one's this. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. What is the issue that they're facing of the day? Divorce. They were coming to Jesus wanting to know this. God, what do you allow? That's one approach. But when we come to Jesus wanting to learn, we might ask, instead of what does God allow, what is God's will? Because what God wills and what God allows are two different things. You understand? What God wants and what he allows are two different things. What God wants is the best for you. What he allows is us to walk through the most broken places so that we might have a paradigm shift and come to him seeking not what we can get away with, but what he wants for us. One way to learn is we ask for understanding. What is the actual issue at hand, knowing that it's deeper than what's on the surface? What is the deeper issue? The Holy Spirit knows and wants to show us. And when we ask the Holy Spirit for help, we are acknowledging a couple of things. We're acknowledging, number one, that we don't see everything. We're acknowledging, number two, that maybe th that, um, there's something that we can learn. And we're acknowledging, thirdly, that, that God does know. So we're asking for help. The Bible says a lot about, throughout the New Testament, what we call gifts of the Spirit, meaning the things that the Holy Spirit, who is God himself that dwells amongst people, has that he wants to give to us to help us, which is great because I don't know about you, I feel like there's some stuff going on that I'm like, I don't know the right way to deal with that. But the Bible says very clearly that the Holy Spirit does and that he is a 
gift to people. He comes and lives and dwells within us, and he can help us navigate gifts like discernment. Is this person trying to trap me in my words about this topic, or are they asking what I think? Uh, words like understanding. Oh, this is what's going on on the surface of your life. But at a deeper level, here's what I think is happening down deep. Gives us wisdom. See, Jesus had all of these things because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus saw here that what they're talking about is divorce, but the actual issue here is not divorce. It's hard-heartedness. Let me show you what I mean. Because now that we see clearly, we can move to the second step, which is look for the open door. This is seek and you will find. Look for a way to uh, engage the person on the issue that they're talking about. And here's where Jesus answers them. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them. What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. All right, let's pause there. We're looking for an open door. The Holy Spirit helps us to see the underlying heart condition. Jesus saw it here. The Holy Spirit helps us to see the way forward. Jesus saw it here. And knowing the heart of the people, Jesus answered their question with another question. He does that sometimes. And he says... What did Moses command you? You could um, say it like this. What is your interpretation of what the Bible teaches? What do you think is the right answer? And and, And their answer, just to let you know, is all based on their interpretation of one verse in the Old Testament. So this whole thing about is it okay for someone to divorce their wife? There were two schools of thought that, ca- that come from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, verses like 1 through 5. But let's just look at verse 1. And it says this. When a man takes his wife and marries her, if, she, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency, circle the word indecency. He has found some indecency, or maybe your scripture says uncleanness in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of this house, his house. And she departs out of the house. And she departs out of his house. The word uncleanness there is where these two views on marriage and divorce in the New Testament are taught and walked out. The word uncleanness means some sort of indecency, something that's grounds for divorce. So what were the two schools of thought? Well, could you, could you imagine that there was a very conservative view and then a super liberal view? Imagine that. And they were both pretty far to the extreme edges, and here's what they were, given by two prominent rabbis of the day, Shemei and, forget the other guy's name, but here, the very conservative view. You can get divorced only if your spouse 
has a sexual relationship with someone else, sexual immorality in the marriage. The other view on the far side was that it, uh, this uncleanness meant, so one person thought this uncleanness was simply a sexual uh, thing. The other person said, actually, it could mean a lot of different things. And it actually got to the point where it meant it could be sort of anything that irritates you, sort of like incompatibility. As a matter of fact, and when you look at some of the old uh, oral laws that were written, this guy, um, this other rabbi, it got to where even if she was a bad cook. Now, here's what's important. In Deuteronomy, this law was actually put into effect to protect women's rights, not to give men an excuse to divorce their wives. Because in that culture, prior to the New Testament, if a woman was divorced, she, was, she had become outcast, and she was looked at as like a harlot in the, in the community. So she had no social standing, couldn't be married again, and it was like it was dependent upon how her husband felt. God put this in to protect women. So he was like, if that's the case, and if you're going to divorce her, then give her a certificate of divorce that says that she is free from you and she can remarry. That's why that was given. But fast forward to the New Testament, and there's these two um, schools of thought and things that are taught about divorce, and they come to Jesus and they say, which one of us is right? It's interesting that Jesus said, what did Moses command you? You know, it's funny. They said, Moses, um, Moses allowed of man. So when you read it, it's sort of like Moses had this idea. Let's make divorce a thing. It wasn't Moses' idea. Divorce was already a thing. It was just done very poorly and left a lot of carnage in that day and age. Day and age. There was an issue that was already happening. Moses didn't institute it. He simply acknowledged it, acknowledged that it was happening. What did I write? Moses acknowledged the presence of divorce in Israel but did not institute it or authorize it. He didn't invent it. It was already happening. There are social issues in our day that we didn't invent. We didn't initialize. We don't authorize, yet we have to navigate them. We have to make our way through. And I'm here to tell you today that God has a way through. They said they thought the problem was a social issue. Social issue is between two people and who was right. But Jesus has something else to say, verse 5. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote to you this commandment. Because from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Verse 8, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse 10, and then the house of disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. That's heavy. We can't get around any fact of the matter that while we are talking about navigating social issues, Jesus lays out something here that we have to talk through. But the most important thing is Jesus moves the whole dialogue from a social issue between two people to a gospel issue. Instead of a people between, instead of an issue between a person and another, he moves it directly into a gospel issue, which is something that needs to be sauced out between an individual and God himself. Social sideways. Gospel issue is a vertical issue. This is not just between two people. It's between a person and God. And he does that in a couple of different ways. Number one, he goes way back before there was an interpretation from the law, and he talks about his created order, created design and purpose behind marriage. God's created, God created marriage was not man's idea. It was designed from God himself. Here's God's perfect, created, original intent for marriage. When there was no sin, no brokenness, when God said, this is what, it, this is what he said, a man and a woman, two people that are equal, in standing, yet opposite in physical appearance and in giftings and opposite in many ways, leave their individual lives for something that can only be gained in the joining to another person. Two people that would not need divorce because in their minds there would never be a way out because they were all in. That's God's original intent for marriage now i say it later in the message but are we living in a place where that is what is prevalent just in our world a place with no issues negative so we'll see how to navigate in the space in which we stand but god's original tent was perfect and beautiful and there was no need for separation because the union was so deep it was physical It was spiritual to becoming one. Marriage is God made. Divorce, sin, sexual immorality, those are man-made. We made those. When we decided to go a way that we want versus a way God originally intended, And they're arguing over the best man-made law for people to separate. Do you see how what they are talking about is surface level compared to what is actually happening? There's something that I find comforting for myself and for our church and just different things. And one of them is this. Um, We got ourselves into this mess 
We need God to get us out of it. Amen. There are things in life. I heard, I was trying to find the quote from last week, but this person said the same hand, they were talking about generational things. Um, why older generations don't like younger generations because they think they'll mess everything up. And uh, this, this saying, this person says, but the hands that we need the younger generations because the hands that created these problems are most often not the hands that figure out a solution for them. And uh, I thought that was just really good. But us as, as humankind have gotten ourselves, um, we've dug a hole for ourselves. The cause of it is sin, not social issues. And we need help to get out of it. The help we need to get out of it is not which uh, law or practice do we follow. It's authored by the Holy Spirit himself. It makes it a gospel issue. You'll see, we'll get to this last part. So some of you right here might be saying, well, how is this a gospel issue? I've never been divorced. Matter of fact, I'm not even married. So do I even need to be listening to this message? Yeah, you do. And here's why it is most definitely an issue between man and God not mankind against each other. You ready? Back in the Sermon on the Mount, the word divorce isn't mentioned, but the word sexual immorality is mentioned. So Jesus said in Mark, where we're teaching today, if a man divorces his wife, commits sexual immorality. If a woman divorces her husband, she commits sexual immorality. But he said something else that goes even deeper than a physical act. He says this in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who, has, who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you say deal with the issue on the surface, but I'm telling you that the issue is much deeper. And this is a long text, but it's so good. And I want you to listen as best you can and jot it down and look at it later. But in Romans chapter 23, excuse me, Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 23, listen to this. For all have sinned. I'm not divorced. I've never committed sexual immorality. But all have sinned. It's a gospel issue. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he was going to do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and make sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. 
not when they do the right thing socially about their sin. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. Now that we have gotten to the heart of the matter, we have a good starting point to move forward with someone. You can take any issue of our day, run it through this pattern, and you are going to gain ground in someone's life and in showing the, the, the reality and the person of Jesus to them. And if you can work this through on your own life, um, you can be healed of many things that you have been through. We've asked, Lord, help me. We have sought, what is the way forward in this? And now there's a knocking, there's an action step that needs to happen. This is a hard step because when you disagree with someone or you feel like someone is against you, it's easy to just write them off and be like, I don't even want to deal with this person. But here's an action step. And for those of us that are those of us that are willing to take an action step, the Holy Spirit will help us move forward, and he gives powerful, powerful gifts here. Gifts like prophetic words, like when someone says something, and it's from God himself. Miraculous healing, miraculous faith. Let me use one story because Jesus leaves this teaching hanging. And you know what? A lot of interpretations on sexuality, marriage in particular, divorce, will be taken from this one text that we read here. I actually know someone that was made to think that they, were, they couldn't get married again and they were kind of made to feel like they were a bad person because they had experienced divorce. And if we had just had this text right here, the, one of the interpretations of that text would be that. And they would be, have justification, ju they would have like evidence and be like, look what it says in Mark chapter this, blah, blah, blah. Jesus says, if you do this, then this. If you do this, then this. But the thing is, is you take what God said, that's why I said we need the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible in several places says, if he who has ears to hear, let them hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking through the word of God. We need the word of God and the spirit of God because we have more than just this teaching. We have an interaction with Jesus and a person caught in the act of adultery. So Jesus actually is going to, can show us at the individual level, not at the social level, how he deals with this very thing. I'd like to read it to you. It's in the book of John and in chapter 8. Look at how Jesus models this for us 
as he interacts with this woman. So chapter 8, I'm going to start in verse 2. Early in the morning, he came. This is uh, when Jesus was in Jerusalem. So this is still coming up in his ministry for us. Um, early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. That was kind of his thing. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Some of your translations might say, in the very act. There's a chance this woman was uh, like uh, very exposed and uh, uncovered and uncomfortable and vulnerable and feeling wretched and horrible when she was cast in front of a Jesus who was at the temple teaching a Bible study. You think she was uncomfortable? Do you think that there was premeditation behind it if someone was caught in the act and then grabbed and then thrown in front of Jesus? Probably. So this woman was caught in the very act and placing her in the midst of all of these people, they said to him, See, we've had some awkward moments in here on Sunday morning. This takes the cake for, can Jesus navigate awkward moments? Yes, he can. She was caught in the act, and they said, Now in the law of Moses, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And they said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. So what does Jesus do? In this moment, it doesn't say it, but Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He had all the discernment necessary for the situation, all of the wisdom, knew the open door to move forward and the next step to take. So what did Jesus do? He didn't say anything. He didn't say a thing. It says... Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. The million-dollar question, what did he write? As they continued to ask him, Jesus, we're asking you a question. Whose side are you on? What are you going to do about this? He stood up and said to them, it's not a social issue. It's a gospel issue. And he, amongst you without sin, cast the first stone. Because there's the original intent. There was no sin. Life was perfect. We lived eternally. There was no brokenness. There was no divorce. There was no sexual immorality. There was no none of the issues that we see today regarding sex, regarding identity, regarding all of those things, they weren't there originally. But it doesn't mean that they weren't there and that it, God's design, that there is a design and that it actually is perfect and is what's best, but we're not living in the garden. We're living in a broken world where all of these things are prevalent. And so what does Jesus do? He says to them, Basically, the law does say that. 
And if you want to cast, he who has not, who is without sin, you cast the first stone. You know, the only person that could have cast a stone there that day was Jesus himself. And did he? What did he do? And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. That's interesting. Why the older ones? Because the older you get, the more messed up you realize you are. (laughs) And the more you've tried to fix it on your own. And the more you've realized, I got myself into this. I'm having a hard time getting myself out. Maybe this isn't as much a social issue as I thought, and there really is something, a deep desire and longing of my heart that I've tried to make right in, fill in the blank, but maybe there really is something that I'm searching for at this soul level that can be found in God. Beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Where's all the people that made you feel that tried to tell you who you are based on your sin. Where are they at? Are they gone? Are they still here? There's no one, Lord. And then Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Even the way it's worded, Jesus never backs down from the reality that there is truth, from the reality that there is actually sin, and from the reality that she had been living in a lifestyle or caught in the very act of a sinful thing that some interpretation would be like capital punishment. What do you think, Jesus? And Jesus had a way to be like, to cut to the heart of the issue and make it not just about her and God, but the people that would judge her and cast her down because of this sin, make it between them and God. That's an important thing for us as we're trying to navigate things today because our sin looks so much grosser on other people. And before we cast a stone, make sure we cast ourselves at Jesus' feet. Make sure we do what scripture talks about and says that you could deal with a log that you have in your own eye. It doesn't say, so you leave everyone alone. It says, so you'll know how to properly and gently deal with someone else because sin is a real thing. Brokenness is really real, and we live in a time that we're trying to navigate social issues sideways. But I believe the Spirit of God wants to do a a thing in our day and age that he would bring people right to himself and deal with it and deal with it powerfully. Here's my conclusion. We live in a broken world. 
And there is nothing more messy than relationships between people. God created people as the final, as the, as the crowning achievement of creation, he created a man. All the dudes are like, yeah, yeah. And then to show that mankind actually wasn't complete, he created a woman. And all the women are like, hey, talk about it. I don't know if that's what you guys do, but. To complete creation, God completed man. And then to complete mankind, God created woman. And there is nothing more messy than human relationships. Because they're not just physical. They're not just emotional. They're not just spiritual. They're all of the above. Two becoming one. I couldn't find it this morning, but I have some epoxy at home. Because I'm a man. (laughs) And this epoxy is powerful. It's got the two different tubes, you know, and you cut the tip off. And then you squeeze it out, and the two things mix, and then you stir it up, and then you can, like, glue a truck to the ceiling or something. (laughs) It's powerful, and it dries real quickly. So watch out, because I'm fitting to glue something. But you use it once, you don't use it again, then you go to get it, and air got in, and it's like a rock. So you can throw it away and go buy more. But when you join that stuff together... Equal, opposite things that when they come together form something new that is powerful and strong, you can't separate it. And if you were, there would be a lot of carnage trying to get those things apart. Our world is focused a lot on, hey, what's the best way to pull these things apart? What do you think we should do? People are pulling themselves apart. We're pulling ourselves apart. What we're trying to do is say, hey, there's a lot of carnage that has happened from being pulled apart. You don't have to be in that place. That's when we make things a vertical issue between us and God himself. If you have been through a divorce, if you have committed sexual sexual and moral behavior, I'm here to tell you, There is forgiveness for you. (laughs) You don't have to stay in that place. There is healing. Did you know that you could be healed today? People are like, does the spirit still do healing? Heck yeah. Does it have to be physical? No. But can it? Yeah, it can. But you know what else it can be? It can be healing something that you've never received healing before because you've been caught in this place, what the world says, and maybe even what someone in a church who's a Christian said to you or about you at some point, and you've been operating in a broken space for far too long. And today is the day for you to step into this place where the Spirit wants to do something new and powerful. And maybe Jesus would say to you this morning, where are your accusers now? Is there, is there no one? No, Jesus. And he says, neither do I accuse you. And then he says, I have a new path forward for you. 
go and sin no more, you are no longer bound to the path that you have walked. There is newness for you. Amen is right. Not only is there forgiveness for you, and is there healing for you? Listen, church, bridge, my family, there is forgiveness and healing to be experienced through you. Because as we open ourselves up to the truth of God's word, to the amazing, amazing, powerful grace and forgiveness and healing of Jesus, you are now a conduit of those very things to extend to those around. You know what the church should be really good at? Forgiveness. You know why? Because we should be really good at experiencing forgiveness. Not because we're religious and cool and all that. Be like, oh, I forgive you. But it's so, no, we should be the best at experiencing it. What it is to walk in newness and grace. And it should, it's, it's the new high. I, this is who I am and in Jesus. And we see someone and the, what we desire more than anything is that they would know that too. We make it a vertical Jesus issue with them. So what I'm hoping for today more than anything is that we could experience a paradigm shift. That we could take social issues, whether we're living them, they're ours, or they're going on in our culture, and we could come to God with them like this. God, what do you allow here? Know that we would come to God like this. God, what do you want here? We don't come to God what he will allow, but what he wants to do. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. And before we make any petitions on our own behalf, we just want to acknowledge who you are. We want to acknowledge your created perfect order. You created all things that we see, all things that we can't see. You created everything that we know how it works and all of the things that humans are still trying to figure out how it works. You know. You created me. Each person in here is not by chance, but by part of your design. And Lord, I have broken your created order. You had things set up perfectly, and I have made decisions in my life that chose my way over your way. And I know that that has caused a wedge between you and me at times. And we also acknowledge that is the world in which we live. 
and we try to bandage and fix so many of these things by by figuring out what is the best way forward and leaving you out of the equation. And we want to acknowledge in this place this morning that we don't want to leave you out of the equation. As a matter of fact, we don't want to be pigeonholed into any any views or any things that are out there, Lord. We look directly to you and we say, how do we proceed forward? And for those of you that are, you were sitting there and, and I was speaking to you when I was talking about needing to receive healing and forgiveness. I want to pray for you right now. I believe the Lord would want you to know that you are not what your sin says you are. It says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall be called children of God. And if that's you this morning and you're just in that place and you say, I want to receive healing for this. I want God to heal my heart. I want God to take this and breathe new life into it. then I just want to say, God forgives you. If you come to him and you ask for his help, if you ask for the Holy Spirit to make you new, then I can confidently say this is from the Lord. You are forgiven. There is a new pathway forward for you. And if that was you this morning, when church is over, I want to talk to you. Not to like teach you anymore, but to just give you a hug. I believe that has happened and is taking place even right now. So would you come and and just let me know after church. And last but not least, Lord, we pray for wisdom in navigating the issues of our day. We know we are talking about divorce today. It's prevalent in their day, prevalent in ours. Not as much maybe of like a radical issue then, but there are many things we're trying to navigate, and it seems like the options are limited and not good enough. No matter which way you lean or decide, it just seems like it's not all that you would have where you see the world as a whole and you see every individual case and you would want every person in every case to experience what that woman experienced, where they might hear from you, neither do I condemn you. And they would respond, Lord, to you. Seems like all of this can't, can't be met by any organization, but only by your spirit. So we ask, Holy Spirit, would you fill this place right here? Would you fill the hearts of these people? Would you fill our minds with your word? Would you fill our hearts with your love? And would you help us as we ask and seek and knock to see those around us that are ready and are willing to hear from you? We love you, Lord. We sing this song in response to your goodness. We give to you our tithes and offerings because you are so good to us. You provide so much. We want to give back. We love you, Lord. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.